on today's show. I made it to the flyout stage in Chicago. Yeah. Like only know, 11 people on the market per year get to even do that. And so I was very proud of myself. Right. I was just like, yeah. I made it through the day. I, I haven't been completely destroyed. Yeah. Like I'm proud of being here. And so I go to dinner because that's part of what happens when you're on the job market. Mm-hmm. You go to dinner with like three or four other faculty members, which were faculty members from that department. Mm-hmm. And they were an alcohol-heavy bunch. <laughs> You're not supposed to like pressure job market candidates yeah. to drink, but they were, you know, at yeah. their booth, and so they can yeah. do whatever they want. Yeah. So they were like, "We're doing wine. We're doing margaritas. Yeah. We're doing shots. Just, Everyone's getting in on this." Everyone who thinks academia is bored has now is like, "Oh my god, I want to go into this <laughs> yeah, one." Right? Exactly. It was a lot of fun. It was like a cool Mexican restaurant, and so I got like pretty drunk, mm-hmm. and at that sense, I felt like I didn't have much to, at that point, I felt like yeah. I didn't have much to lose, and so people were asking about my interests, and I was like, you know what? I love podcasts, and I'm going to start my own podcast, nice. which is not something you say at a job interview. No, it's like, at all, right? You're not supposed yeah. to say that at all. No. Well, and, and I would say, you're not supposed to say that in any job interview, not not even like in academia, which is sort of stoic and like has this very rigid thing. But like, mm. there are people who like, you know, literally I, careers, the, someone was showing me a career center. They tell people to take off uh, anything related to entrepreneurship or sort of like, you know, podcasts or things like that yeah. off it because like people are like, oh, you can't have any interest other than the job. So, yeah. you know, I think it's to your point, like, you were in the lion's den here and did the dumbest thing you're supposed to ever do, right? Is tell people, yeah. hey, I mean, I don't interest. know. I don't know if this is like a great analogy. It's probably a little unfair, but it's kind of like going to a banking like sell day mm-hmm. and saying, oh, I'm going to take off four months to be on The Bachelorette. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like people would just look at you and be like, all right, totally. well, you do not have your priorities in order. Right. Right. Exactly. Five, four, three, two, one, one. What more can I say about Kate Waldock? She is an awesome person to talk to. Uh, We've had the good pleasure of getting to know each other. She is a professor at Georgetown University in the finance department, dealing with all sorts of things like corporate bankruptcy, law, finance, small business, the whole enchilada. But we talk about today her other passion, which happens to be a podcast. Uh, she is the co-host of a podcast called Capital Isn't with uh, with a professor at University of Chicago, Luigi uh, Zinjalans. And I think it's really interesting to hear her take on it. And in some ways, it might be the most epic beginning of a podcast that you'll ever hear, uh, sort of around a bunch of colleagues that were pretty buttoned up uh, on a job interview when she announced after one too many margaritas, I think I want to start a podcast. And from there, it snowballed into something that really has given her a different way to stand out. And uh, we'll talk a lot about what it's like to create something in a world where there's sort of a little bit of hesitancy around her peers and colleagues. What is it like to be creating something when the rest of your buttoned up colleagues think a podcast? Is that really a good use of your time? Is that a good use of energy? But what I think has been interesting to see is this really has helped her level up her brand, open some doors and find a way for her to differentiate yourself. It's a fun podcast. If you get a chance to listen to it, it's Capital Isn't. It's sort of a debate. It talks about cutting edge issues and really looks at some of the most important things. But her story is a fascinating one. One of the top academic who also has said, I want to find a way to sort of communicate differently. Kate Waldock, everyone, enjoy the conversation. It certainly is a fun one. Here you are doing something that um, 
is not normal in your field, right? Like, you know, there's this like sort of, I mean, since I'm married to an academic, I know this, right? Like there's probably, and I'm guessing that you have probably been told, Kate, why are you spending time on this podcast when you should be out focusing only on your research? That's all you should do. Why are you doing other things? How do you reconcile this as a thing that you're doing? Because what's interesting is like, students have come to me and said, oh, she's the podcast professor. So people like hear it, right? (laughs) But like in your profession, there's sort of this like heavy, I'm guessing skepticism. So what is, so maybe I led the witness on that one a little bit, but maybe (laughs) take, take me to the start here of like how you hatch this crazy idea to decide to do a podcast. Sure. I mean, your point is right. Like there's absolutely a stigma within the profession, within the academic profession, mm-hmm. not just for having a podcast, but for doing anything that's not just pure research. <laughs> right, right. So caring about <laughs> teaching is it, you know, like yeah, that's, that's exactly. not even uh, which is very sad. But yeah. I mean, even if it were like, oh, like I, I really enjoy golfing, which I don't, but <laughs> I've never golfed before. But even if you, if you make clear that you have a hobby that mm-hmm. you care about too much, then people will start to kind of like look at you strangely. Um, Honestly, my path into podcasting, I think, was a lot less deliberate than I would have liked it to be. Hmm. Um, it it was like a happy accident, I guess. I I really like podcasts. I realized around the age of twenty five that I wasn't learning as much in a broad way hmm. than I would have liked to. That I was mm-hmm. used to in college, where I had to like take like these core courses and right. areas that I didn't really care about. But I was like, oh, you know. I'm actually glad that like I went to a liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get out of college and you start to specialize a lot, which is obviously good for your long-term career for most people. Mm-hmm. But there, it's really hard to stay motivated to learn about like a broad set of things. Right. And I'm not a great reader, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish I were better. Like I try really hard every yeah. day to like read stuff, but it's tough. And I you know, I, said, you know I said I set a goal a couple years ago. So it's funny. In context of this book class that I now teach, literally that January, I set a goal because I read all this stuff about how all the great CEOs, they read a lot. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to read more. And uh, I've not read any more. I read probably less except the books that my students and authors create, right? So it's like, it's it's good on one hand, but to your point about it, like, I I think I I couldn't find a way to motivate myself to learn by reading because I just like, there's all kinds of things that got in the way. So it's an interesting way in my same token of way to learn, but it is like a structured way to learn that, you know, not everyone wants to pick up a book and I just don't want to do it either. Yeah. And I found myself thinking a lot about what type of learner I am. Mm -hmm. Like I hadn't had to think about that before, you know, 24, 25, because you're forced to learn in certain ways. But around then I was like, Oh, I, I think I'm like a better auditory learner than Mm -hmm. I am a visual learner. And I also had a long commute because I was living in New York and Mm -hmm. living in uh, Brooklyn in particular, going into Manhattan every day. And so I had this like hour of time um, when I wasn't really going to schlep around like a big book. And so I discovered podcasts because mm-hmm. a lot of people told me, I mean, people like, I don't really know what the epicenter of podcasting is, but mm-hmm. a lot of people talk about Brooklyn because mm-hmm. of that commute. Right. Uh, right. Because there's a lot of like young kind of right. intellectually curious people there. Um, so people had been talking about podcasts and I started listening to them and I started shopping around for ones that I liked. Uh, and I settled on like a few mm-hmm. and that became one of the best parts of my day. Hmm, it was a commute and like listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so I really loved them. And when I like things, I tend to like be a little obsessive about them. It's like, not only do no I want to consume this, but I want to create it. Right, right. And so I had this goal in my mind of making a podcast one mm-hmm. day, but it was 
pretty, it was a pretty fuzzy goal. Like I didn't have any clear ideas about how I was going to do that. It was just to me that like the objective of a PhD student is to get a job. That's right. Uh, it's, it's like very singular. Like it's all people talk about, mm-hmm. get an academic job. And I didn't want to be distracted from that. But once you get the job, at least in finance, it usually like you get an offer, maybe your first offer around February, mm-hmm. and then you start working in September. Mm-hmm. And so that seemed like a very clear window of time during yep. which it's okay as an academic to take things easy a little Mm -hmm. bit as long as like you're still thinking about the long term Mm -hmm. and explore something that is like relaxing to you or you know lets you you like recover from the six month window in your your mind where you like your entire career yeah you've been grinding (laughs) for the last like what by this point you know you've been undergrad including undergrad it's like forever forever right you've been grinding and so now you say i like podcasts I should give myself a little bit of a break. Uh, and so, so did you, did you tell anyone that you were going to do this or was it like, cause like, again, you're still like, you know, cause like once you get the job, there's the next bar of like, now you got to get tenure and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure if some people had been like, oh, Kate, you can't be starting this thing. You should be already like pushing harder on research. So did you, did at that point when you decided to sort of use this window, had you sort of shared this with others or was this still sort of like, I'm in the exploring phase? Well, my concern about the window is that from the academic culture perspective, it is okay to take those six months off, mm-hmm. but it's not okay to continue with a project. Mm-hmm. So if I had said, for example, I'm going to write a book in those six months, I right. think people would have been like, oh, that's great. Even if it's not a finance book, it's great that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. But if I had said, I'm going to continue writing books for the rest of mm-hmm. my career, people would have been like, no, you can't do mm-hmm. that. And a podcast, even though it takes like, there's some activation energy in which after you've launched the podcast, it gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm it's still something that's ongoing. And so right. I was nervous about telling people that because mm-hmm. of like the ongoing nature of the podcast. Did you think about it when, cause I think it's one of the things that we talked that I, I shared earlier is I tell people. And so, so I now have started a, a group of, of creators that are doing podcasts, mm-hmm. but what we make a difference differentiation is we teach how to do a podcast season. So there's right. sort of podcasting, and there's a podcast season. So like NPR style sort of serial or those sorts of, you know, like Adam Grant style podcast is a season. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about like, was in your head, was it a, once I start, like, this is something I sign up for forever. Or did you ever think about maybe I could just do 10 episodes and see if I like it? In my head at the time, and I still think this is sort of true, I had put podcasts into three categories. There's, as you said, the NPR-type serial podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are the interview podcasts. Right. And there are kind of like news-relevant podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do the news-relevant style podcast, mm-hmm. and those tend to be ongoing. Right. Right, because right. the news keeps coming right. out. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So it's yeah. not like a self-contained story. Right. Uh, and those tend to be like sort of, fairly niche driven by the sort of the power of the interviewer in that way, sort of the, the, the discussants in that way. Those are sort of like, I always describe it as the, the first one you talked about the NPR style ones are sort of almost journalist style mm-hmm. podcasts. Mm-hmm. The second ones are, I would call them like the interview ones are basically, I'd call them personality driven podcasts. So they're driven largely by the personality of the host and the guest. So mm-hmm. like they're it's like you have to be Larry King is a great podcaster because he's a really good interviewer, right? Whereas yeah. like a lot of people who try it, like if they're not particularly good at interviewing, they're kind of boring to listen to. Oh, absolutely. Right. And then the third one that you're talking about is basically take smart people, give them a discussing concept. And so it's both their kind of ability to discuss, but also kind of threaded through a concept or a piece of news or a piece of, you know, relevant fact. Yeah. And I 
I will say that I think that the personality of the host is just as important for the discussion-based podcast as it is for the interview-based mm-hmm. podcast. Sometimes even more. That's true. Um, I th- although I think you can, I think you can fail. I think a, I think with a an interesting topic, can basically even like modest guests, modest hosts could do okay with. I don't think it'll str- survive long term. Yeah. But I think like like there's some really there's a lot of sports-based ones that just because people love sports, even if the hosts aren't particularly awesome, like. I don't know, whatever. Like it's an interesting topic they'll go through. I think the like the Joe Rogan style, Larry King, like those ones, they really do requ- they die if you don't have great guests every time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, sports are great. Economics is not as fun <laughs> as sports. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I thought like the personality element was pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, so before you started, is you're at this point, did you did you identify I guess I always like to sort of hear the genesis because you mm-hmm. said, I like podcasts. I want to do a podcast. Was there this moment when it was like, there's a, I don't find a podcast that, that speaks to me. Like, was there a hole in the market that you saw or was it, I'm going to do a Absolutely. podcast and I'll find a hole. Absolutely. So, no, I thought there was a big hole. Okay. Got it. I thought there was a big hole for current events type discussions mm-hmm. around business or financial news mm-hmm. or economic news. Uh, most of the, most of the podcasts that exist in that space, uh, like slate, Money or APM Marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't count. What's the NPR one? Planet Money. Oh, yeah, Planet I don't Money. count Planet Money in that category because I do think Planet Money is more narrative style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we ended up doing something more like Planet Money. Anyway, foreshadowing. But that's not what I originally intended. <laughs> right, I wanted right. a more like news, current events relevant podcast mm-hmm. in the economics and finance space. Uh, a little bit more economics based mm-hmm. than just like presenting the business news. Here's like what the 10 year treasury yield is today. Mm-hmm. Um, more like a deep dive into issues of, right. you know, why are stock buybacks actually not that bad? Everyone's right. talking about them, stuff like that. And I thought there was a big hole there be- because it, takes a little bit of expertise in that area to yeah. be able to like speak very deeply mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And um, all the podcasts that exist were hosted by journalists. Hmm. And I think that financial journalists, I don't want to sound like I'm dissing them yeah. because I think they're actually um, much better than academics at like being able to respond and right. discuss current events mm-hmm. in like the financial sphere than yeah. academics are. But I thought that there were certain areas in which they were lacking like the depth, mm-hmm. particularly for example, when like discussing academic articles. Right. Um, I think that the weeds podcast is kind of the closest example of what I had in mind, mm-hmm. except uh, with a couple academics rather than a couple journalists. Got it. So, so I you, thought there was a little a more, there. you're a little more intentional than you give yourself credit for. You were like, uh, I no. guess. I, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I mean like, that was like the vision that I had. Sure. But I had no idea how to execute on right, it. Right. And then I started like coming up with different ideas because I thought that it would be too hard to do that. Yeah. And so the next best alternative that I had was, well, going back a step, another thought that crossed my mind was for the same reason that I listened to podcasts, like I was filling this void of like knowledge that right. I felt around my mid twenties. I also wanted to do something macroeconomics related because mm-hmm. I don't know much about <laughs> macroeconomics. Like mm. I really wish I did, but I'm an, a corporate finance empiricist. I specialize mm-hmm. in bankruptcy. Like I'm not really sure what's going on when mm-hmm. the fed changes interest rates or like mm. QE and how that affects interest rates are adjusted. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know much about that. And I wanted to learn more about macro. And so then I thought my next thought was, okay, uh, I have a little bit of like Python natural language processing background. I want to know more about macroeconomics. So I'm going to start a really niche podcast where I use like textual analysis 
uh, on like Fed minutes hmm. or any sort of meeting minutes that are coming out of the Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. and then just do a podcast like the next day. Interesting. Being like, here are the trends. Got it. Uh, and so that, that sounds be, a little more like if if you're you know taking like some of the academic paper type work that you would typically publish. It's almost like maybe you could. Because that's some some of the same like structural data analysis stuff that you would do, mm-hmm. and then you would tell what it means. So yeah. that might feel like a little closer link towards your job, right? A little bit, maybe in a different yeah. area. But like again, I can see like the structure you're in your head, probably like okay, maybe this could be the skills I have and apply it in a different way and sort of share something interesting. Yeah, it felt like a better balance between right. like time consumption <laughs> right, right. and like relation to I academia. Know this thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it seemed like something I could pull off. Were you sitting there thinking easily. as you're going into this one? Because as you start to go into this process of creating something like this, right? I mean, and I. I found the same thing. As I started to dig into it, I was like, shit, like if I'm going to make this at all valuable, like I got to actually like invest, I got to make it good, right? It's got to be interesting. Did you, did you start to like have some doubts about whether you should do this thing or did you have doubts even sounding like thinking like maybe I got to tie this closer to my job? Like did those sort of go through your heads as you're in the design phase? Absolutely. I was really nervous about the optics of it. Mm -hmm. Um, as I said earlier, like the stigma attached to having a podcast. And so that's why I thought like the natural language processing element of it would be uh, less frowned upon Mm -hmm. (laughs) by my colleagues. Um, Not celebrated, but less frowned upon. Definitely not celebrated, but less frowned upon. And yeah, I was nervous about how to make a good product. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my biggest concerns was like, how time consuming is this going to be? If I were to be on like a weekly podcast about what's going on in the financial news, that's Mm -hmm. incredibly time consuming. You have to know what's going on all the time. Mm -hmm. You have to have like an intelligent opinion on it. You have to be able to relate that to the research Mm -hmm. on each topic. That's like a part-time job. Yeah, it's like two or three days a week. And so I was worried about that being too much uh, for sure. I was also worried that I just wouldn't be able to follow through. Like mm-hmm. I would get lazy over the summer. I would be exhausted from the job market. Right. Um, on my birthday, which was uh, shortly after I got and accepted my Georgetown offer, mm-hmm. I my boyfriend got me like a USB podcast mic. Ah, cool. And I remember feeling like really sad because I had this feeling like oh, I'm I'm just not gonna be able to pull this off. Mm. Like it's I'm not gonna be able to deliver mm. on this vision that I wanted to execute on. And so it was a little bittersweet. But um, where the actual podcast was generated, and this is what I mean by like the happy accident, was that as part of the job market, when you're an academic, you go around and you have these flyouts at different schools right. and you present your research in front of different faculty. Mm-hmm. And I had the good fortune of getting to go to the University of Chicago, which is, you know, Booth's finance department is one of the top finance right. departments. Right. It's like amazing. I mean, it's the... Its MBA program is one of the best. It's sort of got a, an amazing group of faculty members across finance and uh, entrepreneurship and all sorts of things. So yeah, yeah it's a pretty absolutely. It's a pretty crazy place. It's scary a little bit. It's, it's very like, scary. Wow, this is like intimidating. A lot of people have like <laughs> have had bad experiences yeah. giving talks at Booth, and so I was really nervous about this. And I think my nerves were correct because the talk did not go <laughs> as well as I was hoping it would have gone. And by the evening, I had this sinking feeling that I was not going to get a job offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not like, you know, getting a booth is sort of like, getting a booth, uh, a job at booth is sort of like, that's a, that's a rare. That's like winning the lottery. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. like are super lucky. And I think even like 
know, in some senses, like from what I'm told, it's, you know, getting a first, it's to get tenure there is even harder, right? So then you're setting oh, up yeah. for a tough, tough road to hope. But so yeah. even getting interviews are pretty awesome, you know, accomplishment. Yeah, right? I was just like proud of that. Right, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, I made it to the flyout stage in Chicago. Yeah. Like only... Eleven people on the market per year get to even do that, and so I was very proud of myself. Right. I was just like, yeah. I made it through the day. Amazing. I haven't been completely destroyed. Yeah. Like, I'm proud of being here. And so I go to dinner because that's part of what happens when you're on the job market. Mm-hmm. You go to dinner with like three or four other faculty members, which were faculty members from that department, mm-hmm. and they were an alcohol-heavy bunch. <laughs> you're not <laughs> supposed to like pressure job market candidates yeah. to drink, but they were, you know, the, yeah. their booth, and so they can yeah. do whatever they want. Yeah. So they were like, we're doing wine, we're doing margaritas, yeah. we're doing shots. Just, Everyone's getting in on this. Everyone who thinks academia is bored has now is like, oh my God, I want to go into this <laughs> yeah, one, right? exactly. It was a lot of fun. It was like a cool Mexican restaurant. And so I got like pretty drunk. Mm-hmm. And at that sense, I felt like I didn't have much to, at that point I felt like yeah. I didn't have much to lose. And so people were asking about my interests and I was like, you know what? I love podcasts and I'm going to start my own podcast, nice. which is not something you say at a job interview. No, it's like, at all, right? You're not supposed yeah. to say that at all. No. Well, and, and I would say you're not supposed to say that in any job interview, not, not even like in academia, which is sort of stoic and like has this very rigid thing. But like, mm-hmm. there are people who like, you know, literally I, careers, the, someone was showing me a career center. They tell people to take off uh, anything related to entrepreneurship or sort of like, you know, podcasts or things like that yeah. off it because like people are like, oh, you can't have any interest other than the job. So, yeah. you know, I think it's to your point, like, you were in the lion's den here and did the dumbest thing you're supposed to ever do, right? <laughs> tell people, yeah. hey, I, mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know if this is like a great analogy. It's probably a little unfair, but it's kind of like going to a banking like sell day mm-hmm. and saying, oh, I'm going to take off four months to be on The Bachelorette. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like People would just look at you and be like, all totally. right, well, you do not have your priorities in order. Right, right, exactly. And, that's, and I think it's that... Um, but I think the right people will listen to that and say, she's interesting. She's got ambition. She has things. And I think it's it's the, you know, oftentimes those other things that we do, I've always found people are the most interesting and even the best people that I've worked with have side things that make them better at their day job. They like learn these things on the side, right? Like one of my favorite employees had an awesome photography business side thing. And at one point along the way, we needed help like sort of designing something in high quality photos. And like, next thing you know, he built us at a gigantic 30 person photo team. Like, but it was, you know, those sorts of things, you never know how they will play into the the, the job role. Maybe not academia, yeah. but still, yeah. Well, I mean, I hope a podcast about capitalism right. should be somewhat relevant mm-hmm. for her career as a finance academic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so here you I are was, doing shots to the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you said like the right people will pick up on value and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in someone thinking outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I was the value, but Luigi was the right person. Right. Luigi Zingales, right. um, who is like a very senior chair tenured professor at Chicago. You're sort of underselling. He's like, I mean, reputationally, he's like one of the handful of the most well-known in this field, right? I mean, Absolutely. he's like, like, you do a little Googling and you're like, and, and I, just to be frank, you, you know, I mean, I don't know much about the space, but you look and you're like, damn, this guy is like legit, right? With a yeah. capital L. So, so you're out there with this guy who everyone thinks of as the stoic sort of like big time, like academic. And you say podcast and turned out like 
ears perk up a little bit on that one. Yeah, huh? I, he didn't show it at the time. I mean, no one seemed like particularly <laughs> enthusiastic about the idea. But I think like in the back of his mind, in, in the back of his mind, he like lodged a little note. Yeah. He's like, this girl's interesting. I just have this podcasting. vision in my head of the story of like you're at this Mexican restaurant, you're doing shots. Like there's like this, you know, like the like in the background, and suddenly you say like you're like the girl who says, and I'm gonna launch a podcast, and the music goes yeah, dark, and everyone turns at you, right? Like, right? like that's sort of what it was. Kind of, uh, kind of, right? Like yeah. so the drunk girl said that one, but but uh, but it sounds like that, like even though the record scratched, that like some people were like, hmm, interesting. So how yeah. did that happen? How did what happened next then? So then time went on. I ended up signing with Georgetown. Mm-hmm. I was very happy about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like went back. I was fiddling with my job market paper. I was like thinking about new research ideas. And around May, I get an email from Luigi mm-hmm. saying. I'm in the city and I have something to talk to you about. Uh, do you want to meet in a couple of days for lunch? Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Kind of, right? uh, for whatever reason, I don't think he even mentioned podcast yeah. in that email, but really? I was like, he's going to want to do a podcast together. That's what like, you this is, yeah. Really? I was like, this That's is cool. the only, this is the thing that makes the most sense. Yeah. And so I was super excited. Yeah. And so we go to lunch and did like, you, could you, did you ever, would you like, Take out this happy accident part of it. Did you have in your mind to say like I need to reach out to a super someone super senior to be a partner? Or was that like not on the roadmap that you were thinking about? Well, at that point, I thought that that style podcast would be too much for me to handle. Interesting. And so I was no longer really looking around for mm-hmm. like co-hosts. Mm-hmm. I do think that for a gabfest or discussion style podcast, right. two or three other two or three hosts total is like the ideal number. Mm-hmm. And I thought about who those people would be. I didn't really know well enough who they would be. Sure. But then I like dismissed the idea because I was like, even being one of three hosts is too much work for me. Yep. And so at that point, I was thinking more about the like FOMC minutes text analysis right. podcast. And I had started to I had, like downloaded all of them. And I was like trying to think about how to make it interesting. Yeah. And then Luigi emails and he's like, let's talk about hmm. something. And so lo and behold, he asked if I wanted to work with him. And... He was very upfront about the fact that there's a huge stigma about this. Hmm. It might be distracting for your career. Um, there will definitely be people who like say negative things about you behind hmm. your back because of this. Um, but you know, you said you like podcasts, and, right. and I want to do one with you. Huh. And <laughs> I mean, it's awesome even to like just think through that because again, I think someone at that level, right, a senior tenured faculty member. Um, you're always looking for reasons to work with them. And oftentimes it's to be like sort of the junior data monkey on a project. Mm. But to sort of, again, think of that as like being reached out to as a co-host, a partner, is sort of like an interesting elevation in the perception, right? You signaled, I want to do a podcast, and that signal was enough as a junior, you know, sort of an associate professor now uh, to be able to sort of like level up your game quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, to be honest, I think the person who would fit best into that category of like leveling up is someone who is completely irreverent mm-hmm. of title. Mm-hmm. Someone who's like, I don't care if mm-hmm. you're like this chaired famous professor with a Wikipedia page who mm-hmm. like has like 60,000 Twitter followers and who, I don't know, might hold some big position right. in like Italian government one day. Like we're, we're on the same level. Mm-hmm. I think that I have some of that irreverence, but mm-hmm. not necessarily enough. Like mm-hmm. he's still very intimidating mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And it's hard 
like we have a producer of our podcast. We're very <laughs> lucky to have one. And he has to constantly encourage me to be like, oh, no, like you're supposed to say what you think on this one. You're not supposed to just agree with Luigi. And so, it, yeah, it's it's still scary. That's interesting. That so how it. did it go from lunch to uh, we're doing this thing? Like how did, what was the sort of the, the process to sort of get this thing out there? Because, you know, again, you're as you're sharing, it's like, this is going to be a fun little like side thing for a bit. And then, you know, we'll see what happens thereafter. You got, you gave yourself from what, like March until September. And so by this point it's summertime, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did that play out? Like what was the sort of process from lunch to uh, first episode? Well, it was sort of a blur, Mm -hmm. but I think we both knew that we needed a producer Mm -hmm. or someone who specialized in editing Mm -hmm. and sound production because neither of of us were going to pick up those skills Mm -hmm. and be able to do them long term. And so I started the search for a producer. Uh, Sarah Koenig scheduled a call with us. I love her. Like the serial jingle is my ringtone to this day. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm a huge fan. And so I was just on the phone with her like my jaw was on the floor the whole time, but she suggested a couple of producers hmm. to us. And so I started like the kind of headhunting search for a producer. And Luigi mentioned that there he runs this journalist in residence program at hmm. the University of Chicago through the Stigler Center mm-hmm. uh, that he's in charge of. And he was like, oh, they would be the perfect people to ask about this because some of them either have podcast experience or are working on podcasts right. now. Right. And so we should give them some sort of pitch on what we think, what we're envisioning for this podcast mm-hmm. and see how they react. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I like threw a couple of slides together and he threw a couple of slides together and I go out to Chicago and like half an hour before we're supposed to meet with the journalists, he's like, oh, by the way, you're giving them an hour and a half long presentation. <laughs> and like, he didn't mention this at all before. And I think that it was maybe one of like his tests mm-hmm. to see if I was up to the challenge yeah. of just sort of like being able yeah. to dive in. Right. Uh, and I, I think it went okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we well, got some good feedback right? from yeah. the journalists. Didn't, he didn't say no. He didn't pull the, pu- the yeah, plug. Yeah, he didn't pull so. the plug at that point. Yeah, He's also, I think, part of what makes him like so great at pretty much everything is that he gets excited about an idea and just is like ruthless mm. until it's been executed it's on. An entrepreneur is the best yeah, thing, right? Exactly. Like you just you can't say no because you're gonna you, you can't stop once you sort of do. I, I think there's a one of my f- co-founders said, uh, "I'm often wrong, never in doubt." And I think that concept of like, you know, you're wrong about the sort of the details, but you're never in doubt we're going to do this sort of thing. And I think that's that's the, it's a trait that I found to be very, very common in entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I think to be fair, that Luigi has a lot more of that than I do. He sure. was just like, we're doing this, mm-hmm. we're hiring people, mm-hmm. I don't care, we'll figure out like the details later. And so eventually we got a bunch of feedback from the journalists and residents. We found a producer who was willing to help us. Mm-hmm. Uh we had agreed that the subject matter, so there would be two hosts, mm-hmm. him and I. Um, the idea was that originally we were going to start out with a debate. And so we'd pick a topic and we'd decide who was on either side mm-hmm. and then we'd debate. Mm-hmm. That style didn't really go over great because mm-hmm. I think we naturally, like academics in finance are not the most pleasant people to be around. Yeah. The culture of our seminars is that very as hostile. soon as a person yeah. opens their mouth, you try and rip them apart. Yeah. It's fast. It's it's. I would say, as an outsider, I've seen I've seen this happen. It's uncomfortable to yeah. watch. It it's doesn't. It, it feels like 
you feel bad. And like everyone in the room afterwards was like, that was great. And you're like, what the F just happened there? Like you just, they didn't even say a word. And you started saying, I already saw this. I don't like this. Yeah. And it's very like, it does feel very confrontational. Like yeah, very I'm around, you know, I was, I'm a recovered lawyer and you guys make that feel like, uh, <laughs> like, uh, like hand, hands, hands and hugs. So. Wow. All right. Uh, well, so I think we both sort of like reverted into that mindset mm-hmm. as soon as we started debating each mm-hmm. other and it didn't come across great hmm. like it, like as a podcast we sounded too combative it was uncomfortable mm-hmm. for listeners mm-hmm. i sent it to my dad and he was like like luigi already hates you and i was like <laughs> no 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 we're on great terms and he was like that's not what it sounds like uh you were just being mean to one another mm-hmm. and like once you start to feel like you're losing an argument, right. people do not feel bad about like throwing personal punches. Right. I mean, right. So it got pretty bad. And so we decided that that was not a great model. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to something that was a little bit nicer, which is that we spend the first half of a podcast just presenting ideas. Mm-hmm. And then we have just like a light discussion around the pros and cons of the idea at hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. And that's more of what it's evolved into. Right. And so we came up with a couple podcasts, a couple pilots. We had one producer for one and then our main producer for the other three. And then we had to set up the launch. Like mm-hmm. we had these like MP3 files mm-hmm. kind of sitting on a hard drive. Mm-hmm. And it was like, now what? Yeah. And that all happened very quickly. Mm-hmm. It was, like we had a month or so to figure out the whole system. And, and this is sort of the summer. So you have you started yet at Georgetown? Or no, you- so we... We had recorded stuff. So in the summertime, I think mostly we spent our time finding a producer. Mm -hmm. We picked the topics that we wanted to talk about for the first couple podcasts. Mm -hmm. Between maybe September and November, we recorded a few. Mm -hmm. Uh, We picked four out of five that we recorded. One of them was just terrible. (laughs) And and then we waited a couple months to think about marketing, to think Mm -hmm. about distribution and the actual logistics of it. And then December hits. Uh, we're about to go to this conference that all economists go to. I'm about to start teaching. Right. Um, and it's we well also past need to September like, when you said you're going to. Yeah, like we I were. Myself to September. We were hoping that we would have it out by September. Right. Of course. And we hadn't even like best laid plans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think we were maybe like four or five months behind schedule mm-hmm. at that point. That's like on time, is what I would say in the world. Yeah. Of like, well, <laughs> you're like on time at that point in my mind. Yeah, I didn't feel too bad about it. Yeah. I mean, also there was no like particular reason that we needed to have things out in September versus December. Mm-hmm. And so the launch was just a blur. Mm-hmm. The way that podcasts launch work, you sort of just upload it to a site and then like hope that it gets out yeah, there. It's, it's funny, very strange. Yeah. Uh, the distribution methods are partially automatic. Mm-hmm. And when it's your first time doing it, you don't know like who to trust. You don't know right. which system to trust. Right. And so, for example, like uh, if you upload your podcast to... I'm just going to call a podcast distribution center. You get mm-hmm. this RSS feed mm-hmm. and there's all these automatic like bots that will scrape your RSS feed and put your podcast automatically mm-hmm. on a bunch of podcast apps. Yep. But a big website like Spotify doesn't do that. Like you right. have to actually upload your actual RSS feed to Spotify and mm-hmm. ask for special permission mm-hmm. to do that. And so we had no idea like what apps were covered by the scraper and which ones we'd need to apply to and all that stuff. But we just sort of did it. Right. Um, And it sort of worked out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's also, it's interesting too. You realize, um, you know, it's like this idea of like, okay, like now what? I remember you, you and I were like, so 
you like how how do how do we get more people to listen to this thing right like it's sort of like there's all these platforms but it's really hard to break into attention and I I remember yeah. I shared the trailers for this podcast and I think over the first day of like putting the trailers out on social media there was like six thousand people that watched the trailers that's awesome. That's awesome. However, then you go into like the number of people that you can look on like iTunes about how many people like played the episode. Mm-hmm. It was 18. Oh. <laughs> so, right? And so like just to be real with people, and I think like it's a funny thing because like, and it's sort of sort of what's important to know is like I was super proud of it. I was excited and all these sorts of things. And like these trailers I thought were really great and I was excited to get people to do it. But there's a there's like a disconnect of like attention is really expensive to get, right? In terms of like mm-hmm. to get people to really listen to a 30 minute episode or whatever it is, is challenging. Yeah. And and so I think it's it's interesting that I think podcasting maybe for me just in inside, it's like a really long term sort of, it is an investment because I think it takes time for people to, decide to subscribe and then get the episodes automatically. But at the start, someone someone was sharing with me the average podcast on the first day has something like, I think it's something like 40 people listen to the first episode or something like that. It's very, very low. Yeah. And then over time, like it kind of grows. But the average podcast is, is downloaded by like 80 people. The average mm-hmm. podcast episode. It's really small. Yeah. You know? So it's a it's, it's a it's a crowded space. It's crowded. Now it's getting more and more crowded by the day. Yep. And it's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, People are now impervious to all like the tricks that you can yeah, kind of use right. to get them to to subscribe and follow and yeah, it's a tough market. So so I want to go that into this like prep. So I want to share one interesting story and then we can chat about it a little bit. So there was it's interesting, you know, again you as an academic taking this sort of bet on a a new medium inside. You know, it's broadly in your space, right? Like you're in finance. And so you're talking about finance, maybe not exactly your deep niche of bankruptcy, but you know, <laughs> the it's interesting to think about how these new mediums in some ways need pioneers to sort of become part of the the understanding. There was a professor of mine in law school named Oren Oren Kerr. And Oren was one of the top like constitutional lawyers. You've probably like yeah. seen him at some point quoted. He's like He's like the man, mm-hmm. super nice though, like very, very humble. And he realized that for him to be putting out law legal articles about things in Supreme Court, the time to to write it and get it out there would take so long. And I went to law school, I graduated in 2006. So like in the 2004, 2006 time was like when the start of like blogging had become a thing. Like it was just starting to be a thing. Yeah. And so he said like, screw it, I'm not gonna do the like long tail, like publish this thing in a law review because it will take me so long. I'm gonna write high quality in-depth things and publish them on the Volkov Conspiracy and a number of other places. And then he comes up for tenure. And you know, again, like there was a huge gigantic debate. Do we count these? Because, you know, these things have, you know, hundreds of thousands of views. They're talked about by reporters that have this stuff. That is a type of credibility that is like other professors are commenting on them. And on the flip side of it, you've got like a law review article that like four people read, right? Or yeah. whatever it is. So like as you think about what what you're playing into as you're talking about finance, again, you've got Luigi who's in this world a little bit. How do you how do you rat reconcile sort of that you're you're making contributions? It makes the institution's brand look good, it makes your brand look good. How are you sort of thinking about it in your head about because it while it started out as a hobby? it still is like a hobby that's tangentially related to what you do every day, right? Even if it's not directly. So how do you think about it now? Well, I'm not sure if this is a problem for your law professor, but at least for me, it's not like any of the podcast episodes cannibalize interest in my research because we very rarely talk about bankruptcy and certainly don't talk about my research at all. And so it's not like, oh, I was going to get 
you know, 100 citations, but now I'm only going to get 50 because mm-hmm. people already listened to my podcast about it. So I think that they're, even though the subject matter is somewhat related, right? Mm-hmm. Bankruptcy is a part of finance mm-hmm. and capitalism is also related to finance. I don't think that my research is at all related to what we talk about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, I think about it sort of like a hobby. I don't expect it to help me mm-hmm. at all if when I go up for tenure. Mm-hmm. And... uh I'm just hoping that I meet the bar for tenure with my research. And the only thing I ask is that the the podcast doesn't hurt me. Yeah. Do you worry about that? Like, because you said Luigi came to you and said, like, some people are going to hate this. Does that ever cross your mind? Like, a little bit. But I think that if I meet the bar for tenure, people will say, all right, like, she has this podcast, but she also was mm-hmm. productive in research. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to really like let the podcast influence us negatively. Yeah. And that's kind of the way things work in academia is that ex ante, like before you've produced a ton of research, if people know that you have a a hobby, Mm -hmm. then they are very skeptical of you. Right. But once you start to produce research in your field and then you prove yourself, you Mm -hmm. earn your stripes, then people look at the hobby and they're like, all right, fine. It's okay now. Right. And I just hope that that happens for me. Yeah. That's interesting. Have you had any, um, surreal moments at all that people have sort of either in the industry or outside of it where sort of it's been, because again, I told you that a a student came up to me who didn't know that I knew you Mm -hmm. and said, oh, she's the podcast professor. That's what they came up and described you as. And, and like, I just know you as Kate. Like, I mean, I don't, like, I don't, I just know you as Kate, right? I don't have that like thing. And so I like had to think to myself and I was like, the podcast professor. And I was like, does she mean Kate? <laughs> so but it was very funny. But have you had any sort of surreal moments where this sort of thing that you've done um, has sort of had any weird, funny, you know, stories for you? Hmm. Uh, I guess they're, I'm trying to think. I don't think it's been surreal mm-hmm. at all. But I think that people... I have a deep respect for journalists, even mm-hmm. though it might not sound like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a deep respect for financial journalists, mm-hmm. and I am weirdly—I've weirdly got like a toe in their world now. Yeah. And so I think, whereas previously a financial journalist would have glanced at me and been like, "I do not care in the least bit about that person," right. now they're like, "Oh, you're sort of part of the club. Like hmm. you can come hang with us." It's interesting. And so if I reach out to contacts. Um, who like might be a financial financial journalist for Bloomberg? Mm-hmm. They're like incredibly responsive. Interesting, and Interesting. I've been very happy about that. Yeah, that's pretty neat. That's pretty. Has do you has any of these stuff you've talked about on the show helped helped you uh, sort of sort of maybe talk about a research topic you're thinking about, or like sort of helped you explore something or decide whether to explore it based on those conversations? I'm not sure that anything has directly affected my research. Mm-hmm. Luigi and I, in some of the episodes, we've been like, oh, this would be a great research topic. Um, but then we've looked into it. I mean, it's actually hard to like deliver on a finance paper. <laughs> and so we've yes. either, we've there are two or three projects that we've said, oh, that would be a great paper. And then we've either found that the data isn't mm-hmm. there, that it's already been done in a close enough way, or that like the question isn't well-formed enough. Right. Um, but it does come up, and I hope that it keeps coming up, and mm-hmm. I think that it will. In particular, it, not necessarily from a research perspective, sure. but the topic of uh, like monopoly power and mm-hmm. antitrust comes mm-hmm. up a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've realized how completely ignorant I was mm. in that area. It's not really something that you learn about in right. like an economics or a finance right. program, but mm-hmm. it is deeply related to economics it and is. finance. It is. And 
so I think that I've become more educated in that field, but now I know how much I didn't know. And so I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh man, I'm truly ignorant. Oh but, boy. Yeah. And so I, I'm glad that like I've been turned on to, mm-hmm. or, or, like, to understand mm-hmm. how interesting of like a field this is. And maybe one day yeah. I could do research in that area. That's cool. Well, thank you. This is so fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. Yeah, of course. It's, it's, uh, I always love these origin stories because I think people don't recognize that like, you know, again, you said, ah, this will be a fun thing for like six months. And it, you know, these things just take time to make something great that you're proud of. And like, you never would have probably ended up thought where, you know, what you and sort of February of March were starting to brainstorm this thing could imagine sort of what it is today. It's sort of neat to see the journey. There's no way. (laughs) There's no way I would have expected this. It's awesome. Cool. Thank you for hanging out. Yeah. I appreciate it.